Okay, and if you have a sweet, if you'd like to pop it in your mouth now, that should stilt the conversation. (laughs) Don't crunch too early. Okay. Let me read some scripture to you. I'm going to read this from the Message Translation, Eugene Peterson's Adaptation of Scripture. It's the first six verses of, of the first chapter of Proverbs. These are wise sayings of Solomon, written down so that we'll know how to live well and right. To understand what life means and where it's going. A manual for living, for learning what's right, just and fair. To teach the inexperienced the ropes, to give our young people a grasp on reality. And there's something here also for seasoned men and women. Still a thing or two for experienced people to learn. Fresh wisdom to probe and penetrate the rhymes and reasons of wise men and women. To understand life and where it's going. That's the question, isn't it? That's the the big question. To understand life and where it's going. And what's the thing... I guess we're all seeking out of life. That would help answer that question, surely. So what is it? Is it happiness? Is that perhaps the thing that we're all looking for that would then mean life has purpose and meaning and it's okay? You know, if you go to Amazon and you press, you type in happiness, you can buy over 160,000 items That will give you happiness. Or will they? It's a good question. The pursuit of happiness, I think, affects all of our lives. I think we long for happiness in every area of our life. It's not just related to maybe things or our thoughts or our religious life. Actually, we long for a sense of wholeness, completeness, fullness, and a sense of well-being, I think, in everything. I don't think happiness really covers it. The Bible has a word that covers it. It's called, the word word is shalom. Now, I know for some of you, you think, well, I know what that word means. It means peace. But actually, it doesn't mean just the absence of conflict. It means actually something far bigger than that. Shalom is where everything is in the right place. Where everything thrives, where everything flourishes, that you are full of purpose and meaning, and you know what you're living for. That is the place of shalom. Everything is right. Everything is intended. Everything is how it should be. And the Bible says shalom is available to everyone. And it can be found in every area of our lives. So today we're going to look at this book of Proverbs. And right at the beginning, I thought I'd like to try and sum up Actually, what Proverbs is about and the invitation, which I believe it is, to find Shalom. Now, Proverbs is an immensely practical book and trust Paul to take all the practicality away this week and talk about the ideas of Proverbs. But that's what we're going to do this week and then over the next few weeks we're going to talk actually practically what that looks like. The book itself covers a whole range of themes on ideas for life. Some are very practical, some are odd 
But it talks about money and friendships and raising family and how we're to be with each other and how we are to live. And it also makes an offer that in all these areas of your life that you can experience shalom. There's a riddle in the very first chapter. If you have your Bibles, if you look at the very first line of the text, it says something like the Proverbs of Solomon for gaining wisdom. It effectively attributes the, the, the writings to Solomon. And in 1 Kings 4, it does say that Solomon wrote over 3,000 Proverbs and 1,005 songs, which is very specific. But not all of the Proverbs contained in this book are actually written by Solomon. They're not all his. But his name appears right at the beginning of the book. And actually, I think the writer or the compiler of the book is saying something really important that we might miss if we're not careful. Right at the very start, it's this. You see, the word Solomon, or the name Solomon, is from the Hebrew word shalom, meaning peace. I... It was actually, his name is up front because the writer wants us to stay right at the beginning. If you want to be a man who knows how to get shalom, or a woman who knows how to get shalom, who experiences happiness, fullness, peace, wholeness, and everywhere in your life, you get there through this book. That's what this book contains. That's how this book works. And that's the claim that we're going to explore today. And this book says... That in order to get to Shalom, we need wisdom. Specifically, the wisdom that's contained here in this book. That's how we get to Shalom. Why this and not something else? Why wisdom? Why on earth would God, or why on earth would we think that this old book, this ancient text, can offer contemporary wisdom for our complex and busy lives? This dusty old book that's written hundreds of years ago. That's what I want to talk about this morning. So we're going to go on a bit of a journey. We're going to go in a few different directions. And then hopefully I'm going to tie it all together at the end. But before we go any further, has anyone finished their suite yet? Good. Okay, you crunched it already, Helen. Yeah. Good, good. Anyway, let's start with the question. What is wisdom? Who knows what wisdom is? Can you define wisdom? What are we saying when we use the word? Rhetorically, sorry, Bill. <laughs> what are we saying when we use the word? Think about this. Proverbs uses actually one singular word for wisdom for the most part, and it's a Hebrew word. It's the word chokmah. It's the sort of wisdom that's not just like an intellectual concept or idea. It's not just about knowledge. It's actually a word that's used often in the description of artisans or craftsmen. It's the language of skillfully making something beautiful. The idea that hokma, this kind of wisdom, will help us craft, if you like, a life. Craft or build a life. And Proverbs uses this metaphor of a house. Chapter 24 to 3, it says, By wisdom a house is built, and through understanding it is established. Through knowledge its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. If you like, there's three sort of key elements, you could say. Wisdom and understanding and knowledge. This is, 
how this thing, Hokmar, works. And they're interwoven and they overlap, and, but the foundational one is wisdom. And if you don't have wisdom, you can't build the house that knowledge and understanding are held in. So it's the foundational one. Wisdom is the one, if you're going to build a well-crafted house, if you're going to build a well-crafted life, you need hokmah, the wisdom of God at its foundation. It's a practical word. It's craftsmanship. It's, well, it has three levels of meaning in Scripture. The first one is, it's about success in life. Or the ability to be able to be successful. Some of you know about this. That sort of wisdom that means that you apply it and actually your life is, is pretty good. It's pretty well successful. It's not about IQ or intellectual ability or cleverness. It's not just knowing about things. It's knowing how things work and how you get them to do that and how you actually are successful with those things. It's the skill of living practically successfully. It's not about IQ. It's not about being super bright. And then there's this second aspect, if you like, in, in Scripture, which talks about, or in Proverbs particularly as well, talks about living ethically. The skill of living well. And if you are to experience Hokmah, which leads to Shalom, you need to know how to live life well. You need to know how to be good. How to lead an ethical life. I think we understand something of that. I think we understand something of what it looks like to maybe lead a good life. The verses we read right at the beginning of the talk, it says, gaining wisdom and insight, but also growing behavior about doing good, doing what is right. And if you want to live a life shaped and soaked in shalom, you need ethical wisdom. And I think most of us could name somebody who is ethically wise. And perhaps most of us could name somebody who is successful and pretty practically wise. Sometimes it's less easy to name somebody who's good at both. Perhaps you know somebody who's really actually quite successful and actually looks from the outside like they're doing really well, but actually, you know that they've trodden on people and they've maybe abused situations and relationships in order to look successful. And then there are the others who are ethically fantastic and you think they lead this amazing life, but actually they're not very good at living successfully and so their ethics and their morals and their values and the things they want to try and do they can't finance or they can't fund or it's just disorganized and actually it becomes quite draining for the people around them and challenging for the folk around them. But Hokmar is the combination of these two wisdoms. And many of the great religious and world philosophies would say, yeah, if you want to live a flourishing life, you need both those types of wisdom. But pro- Proverbs and Hokmah wisdom, there's a third step. There's a third element, if you like, to those two. 
And it's theological. It's the skill of living spiritually. Living successfully, living ethically, and living spiritually. And Proverbs says, wisdom starts with the fear of the Lord. That's the first thing you have to get before you get the other bits. And that phrase comes up time and time again in this book, and we'll look at that in a few moments' time. According to Proverbs, though, there is a spiritual dimension to life which leads to wholeness. And if you want to experience Salom, if you want to experience its fullness, without connecting to your creator, it can't be done. It can't be done. Now, perhaps you were sitting here this morning, you're like, I was with you until then. I've got the first two points. But do I really need God to live a happy life? I get that I need skill, ability and practical knowledge and hard work and all those things. And I get I need to be a good person and have ethics. But why do I need God? Why do I need him to experience fullness and wholeness? See, Proverbs would say, well, yeah, you can experience 80% maybe, 80% towards Hokmah, Shalom. But if God's not in the mix, if God is missing, then you'll always be short. That's the claim of this book, you will always be short. That's the claim of Christ. Those things aren't enough. So why? So why? Well, in Proverbs, it tries to to help us understand this. And the thing you get from Proverbs is that God has actually created the world in a particular way, according to a particular plan and a particular pattern. And you see, wisdom is not something you just own or you possess. It's actually a way, a pattern, a pathway and God said, Proverbs says, God created the whole world in that pattern. To live according to that pattern. Proverbs and the other wisdom books say, God alone, only God is wise. Wisdom is one of the things he is. It's an attribute. It's almost, he, he's the only one who can actually give wisdom as a gift. But it goes further because Hokmah is the language of craftsmanship. And it says God showed that craftsmanship as he created the world. So Proverbs 3 says this. And I haven't got it there. I'll come back in a sec. By wisdom, the Lord laid the earth's foundations. By understanding, he set the heavens in place. And by his knowledge, the watery depths were divided. And the clouds let the drops dew. God built the earth on the same three things that we talked about before. On wisdom, on understanding, on knowledge. The blueprint that God gives us for our life is the same blueprint that was used in the creation of the world. The same pattern. The same order. And this pattern in which by everything was created, he says, come and live 
in that pattern of life. You need to build your life on that same pattern. And then you can find shalom. Proverbs goes even further still. And it's a weird book. And I don't know if you've ever tried to to read it. But it goes from these really practical do's and don'ts to, which is like a bit of a Haynes manual kind of, this is what you do, this is what you don't do, to poetry in a flick of a page. And you're like, how did that happen? What, what is that all about? What's that? And you're reading about money and your wealth and that sort of bit of species. And then suddenly you get to this like poetic language that just rolls for a chapter or two. And you're like, how do you go from that practical list to a poem? We don't do that in our language and our culture particularly. Chapter 8, the text, there's this, the writer's struggling with to describe, I think, just how extraordinary this creative God is and how this creation happened and what it is that is driving this and this thing. And it says this, he says, well, he, he kind of goes into this voice of a woman for some reason. And he says, I was there when he set the heavens in place, when he marked out the horizon on the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above and fixed securely the foundations of the deep, when he gave the sea its boundaries so the waters would overstep the mark, and when he marked out the foundations of the earth, I was constantly at his side. I was filled delight day after day. This thing, wisdom, this person, wisdom, this idea, wisdom, was there at the inception of the world. It was involved in its creation, in its, in its mapping out, in its artistry. It was there, the writer's saying. Before there was anything, there was God, who is all wise. And there was this creative force who was called wisdom, and together they just created everything. And it all works together according to wisdom. So you get the creator in this creative force of power called wisdom. And all of it is imbued by wisdom. From the beginning of time, it's just blown and shaped by wisdom. And wisdom is in everything and in every function, every part of it. So it's no wonder Proverbs says, if you want to understand it, you need to know it. You need to get it. You need to look for it, search it out, this wisdom. If you want to have a life of shalom, if you really truly want to, then you need to have chokmah. You need to, because it's the way the world's designed. Now, God's original creation was full of shalom. Perfect in every way. Everything was alive, aligned, ordered, happy. Everything was designed to live in order with the creator, the master craftsman. And he made it so. And in Proverbs, this woman, she just calls out to us again and again and again and again. And she pleads with us and she cries to us and she's asking, recreate, reconnect, reconnect with your creator. Please come back, come back, please reconnect with your creator. How are we doing with the sweets? Who's finished? Okay. Proverbs 24 says, eat lots of sweets. No, it doesn't. 
You thought, that's a great one. I'm having that one. I read that one before. No, Proverbs 24 says, eat honey, my son. Its taste lingers in the mouth and it does you good. Honey does you good. Wisdom is described in lots of ways in the scripture. Sometimes it's like treasures. Sometimes it's like gold. Sometimes it's like jewels. Sometimes it's a person that cries out to us. Sometimes it's described as a feast. Here it's a honey. It's a thing that's sweet to taste, it says. And not only does it leave a taste in your mouth, but it's good for your body and soul. Wisdom is like that. Wisdom affects every part of our spiritual life, every part of our physical life. It has a nourishing effect. Wisdom is like honey for you, the scripture says. If you find it, there is a future hope for you. Your hope will not be cut off. There's a sense that wisdom is not just a momently thing, oh, I've got that now and I'll move on. No, the honey taste hopefully lingers in your mouth. Proverbs is like this thing where you, you, you can't just momently just scan over it and just grab it. You have to let it, you have to linger. It's like all scripture actually. You have to linger there so that it goes, so it soaks, so that it works into you at a deep level. I don't know what you think of the Bible. I don't know what you think of this ancient book and about the book of Proverbs. Maybe that you have like a strange relationship with the Bible. You think, well, it's a book of rules written by an angry God. And as long as you, you do the rules, then he won't look at you. Or you can hide from him. You know, he's not going to cast his, his beady gaze on you. In which case, I guess it's a bit like eating your greens rather than honey. You've got you've to do it, but you don't really like it. You know? Is that how scripture is for us? We know we've got to do it, but Proverbs says, you know, wisdom, scripture, it's like honey. It's something that is sweet and beautiful and it does you good. It gives you nourishment. And the promise in scripture is that you, through this, you will have everlasting shalom. The problem is though, and I can hear you thinking about it, the problem is I'm going to go out that door in a few moments and I'm not going to experience necessarily perfect shalom. Some of you have watched the news this morning before you came. Some of you would have turned it on and... Golly. Feels like there's a lot of brokenness out there. Feels like there's just so much pain. It doesn't feel like a lot of shalom a lot of the time when we look out of the world. The Bible doesn't say that if you follow God, that you will experience or you won't experience any pain, illness, suffering and torment that exists in the world. That's not what it's about. I wish this was the case. But it's, it's not. Now you could say, Proverbs, that's a bit simplistic, isn't it? Idealistic. You might say I can experience shalom, but I know that's not the experience of how the word works or how it is at times in my life. 
But actually, the reason that Proverbs is in a, in a collection of books, and it sits within a collection of books called, called the Wisdom Literature, while there's, there's a few of them together, there's two other books alongside it, Job and Ecclesiastes. And they come as part of a package, the three. And they explore that whole question of why, when you're trying to live, in fact, you feel like you are living the way of shalom, that life just doesn't work and things happen. And I haven't got time to explain all that this morning, and maybe we'll come back to that in future weeks, but in very simple terms, I think the answer is this. That wisdom is not the only force at work in the world. Wisdom is crying out, it's telling us, connect with your creator again, but there's another figure at work. And Proverbs uses this other character, it gives her a name. The name is Folly. And Folly calls out, or Foolishness calls out. And Foolishness says, if you follow me, if you follow me, you will be happy. And wisdom cries out and says, if you follow me, you will be happy. And folly cries out, but if you follow me, you really will be happy. But they don't deliver the same thing. See, wisdom says, if you follow me, if you work this through with me, if you linger with me, you will find nourishment. You will experience the depths of meaning. You will find wholeness. And folly can't offer any of those things. Wisdom is built on the idea that if you follow it, you reach or you can know. Shalom. Folly goes somewhere else. Unshalom. Or something And the problem is our world over thousands of years now has chosen to live the way of folly and rejected the way of hokmah, the way of wisdom. And I think the heart cry of this book of Proverbs is, I'm offering you life. I'm offering you harmony. I'm offering you completeness. I'm offering you wholeness. The one who set it all in motion, who crafted it by those things wants you to have those things in order that you may experience the fullness of it and it pleads with us come on don't miss out you can't buy it on amazon and it starts very simply one simple instruction if you want to know how to get it, you start in this, it repeats this instruction. It doesn't deviate from this really nice and simple instruction. It says, if you want this, it starts here. This is how you get it and this is how it starts. It starts like this. I'm just trying to move this one more. It says the fear oops, of the Lord. <laughs> I'm searching for happiness. Um, is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning. This is how you start on this journey, on this pathway. Now, I don't know about you, but that raises two really challenging questions for me. Firstly, 
Why fear? Why do you have to start there? Why can't it be love? Why can't it be the honey of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom? The gift of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Why fear? Well, I think the answer is this, is that the kind of fear the Bible is talking about, it's not that idea of fear where you're cowering in a corner hoping that God won't look at you or that he might pass you by. It's not that kind of fear. I think it's something of the fear in this picture. Perhaps you don't see fear, but if you're on that boat and you're in the middle of this vast ocean and it's strangely beautiful and it's, it's full of awe and wonder and yet at any moment you know you're not in control. That any moment those seas could rise and in an instant you'd be gone. And you can sit there and you can gaze at the awe and the wonder of this thing that is way beyond your control and your understanding. And it's full of awe. Or you are full of awe. That's the fear of the Lord that the scriptures are talking about, I think. You're standing in the presence of something bigger, something kind of beautiful. But you're not in charge. And his ways are not your ways. And he could crush you in a moment. And actually your life, your life is but a tiny thing in the midst of this vastness. And yet, scripture says, he loves you and his mercy is enough for you. And he keeps calling out to you. He keeps crying out to you. Come, come, come back to me. Isaiah 6, isn't it? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. I am of unclean lips. But my eyes have seen the King. That's the, that's the fear of the Lord. We start in that place. But if the fear of the Lord's the beginning of wisdom, what's the next bit? What's step two? And step three and step four. Ten steps to uh, wisdom. What's the next one? Well, the answer is that there isn't another one. Beyond beginning. There isn't this, it's not this kind of beginning that you, you start there and then you move on. It's not how it works. Remember the foundations of the house? It's built on wisdom. You don't build a house with foundations, then decide, okay, I've done that now. I'm going to put the house somewhere else. Or you don't quickly go, oh, well, we've done, I learned how to have it. We'll, we'll move those out of the way. What happens to your house if you take away the foundations?
all starts there. It all sits there. It remains there. Everything comes from there. And if you want to weather the storms of light, like like Christine shared with us earlier, then you need that foundation. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's essential for a solid life. If you take it away, you will not weather the storms. No matter how wise and wonderful you will think you are. So Proverbs Challenge, it goes beyond any other religion, any other worldview. Ethical living is not enough. Successful practical living is not enough. You need this foundation, this awe, this wonder, this faith in God. And it's not something you just make a decision on, you just do once. It needs to undergird everything you do. You never move away from that place. That's why we worship a lot here. That's why we worship tonight. We're never going to move away from that place of awe and wonder. And that's the way to find shalom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So how do we know what wisdom looks like? Look around the room now. Decide which person looks most wise to you. Don't look for the person who looks most foolish. Where do we go to look at a wise life? Lots of religions offer wise words, wise ideas, wise thinking. But how do we know it's worth trusting? How do we know? You see, that's why I think Christianity stands alone in its ideals, alone as a religion, because it goes to where no other religion goes. It's not that God doesn't just cry out or speaks out, but he actually reaches out. He actually reached out to us. Wisdom isn't just a bunch of words. Wisdom stepped into the world in a concrete way to show us what it looks like. That God can be trusted. Wisdom became flesh. The creative force itself stepped into the world. John 1 picks up on loads of these ideas. It says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. And the word was God. He was in the beginning. He was in God in the beginning. And through all things, all things were made. Without him, nothing has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness had not goes on. Later on, it says this. this is, the word became flesh and made his dwelling place among us. We have seen the glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. That's the rhythm, the same echo as Proverbs. It's talking about this wisdom person that was there right at the beginning. This echoes of the same thing. Christ was there. He was wisdom then. And he's wisdom now. And now, as he comes, as John describes, we now get to see what wisdom is like. 
the word, wisdom itself, became flesh. And Jesus, Jesus is the ultimate embodiment of wisdom and of shalom. In, he, in him, we see all these facets come together. No one, no one in history, no one in the history of mankind has ever lived a more successful life. Now, you may say, well, he didn't have a nice car and a nice house. In the 33 years he was here on earth, for three of them only, really, he was doing ministry, he changed the world in, in ways that no other man has ever done since. His legacy has more impact on the globe than anybody else. That's pretty successful. You don't get more successful than that. And in him we see this embodiment of how it is to live ethically. No one has ever lived as good a life as him. Even people who reject the theological or the spiritual side can't argue with Jesus' teachings that he was this outstanding ethical teacher who really just surpasses anything else that's out there. The Sermon on the Mount is just like the... It doesn't get any better. And Jesus, he embodies as well, he embodies this theological wisdom, the art of living spiritually. You see, no one else has ever been more connected to God. More in line with God's will. No one else has ever been more of an embodiment of shalom. Even when going to the cross to die the worst death for the worst of you and I, he says, Father, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He was so in line with God's will, even in the darkest moments. Shalom. He says, I want somehow, through what I'm going to do now, as I go to this cross, I want people to be able to experience what you and I have, Father. This shalom, this relationship, this understanding, this life. I want people to understand, I want people to have this. And interestingly, you know, in Jesus' teaching, he, he takes that kind of central metaphor of the house in Proverbs and he, he uses it to illustrate, we know this story. Where do you build your house? You build it on the rock. Because when the storms come, then you know it will stand. Its underpinnings won't fail. If you let 
if you spend the time, if you take the time to dwell, to linger in this book, it will release to you a story, an idea, a way of life, life to the full, a life of fullness and completeness and wholeness. That's the invitation of Proverbs and that's what we're going to be spending a few weeks over now and we're going to get practical with it and we're going to look at all sorts of bits and pieces. But I encourage you to read. I tried to explain a few of the things that go on in that book this morning so perhaps that helps you as you, as you read and you delve into it. But we're going to sing together as we close. God, I look to you. I won't be overwhelmed. Give me wisdom to see things like you do.